Good afternoon. Good to see so many people here this afternoon. I was glad that Brother Tim asked me to speak tonight because I've had a Wednesday night sermon on my mind for a while. Uh, and in case y'all didn't know, there are Sunday morning sermons, and then there's Wednesday sermons, and there's traveling to different church sermons, and then there's home church sermons. At least I feel like there are. Um, and so this was one that I just, for some reason, felt burdened to uh, preach on a Wednesday night. I'm not 100% sure why that was, but um, that opportunity finally came around, and so I thought I would share those thoughts that had been on my mind. Um, several years ago, and I don't know the exact year, but I'd probably say within the last five years or so, there was a movie that came out um, that was called The Greatest Showman. Uh, I'm, probably a lot of you have seen that. Don't start singing the songs in your head the whole sermon. Okay, some of you already started. Tiffany asked me, did I want her to come up and sing one of the songs? I said, no, I don't think so. <clears throat> Great movie. Watch it on Clear Play, but it's an excellent, excellent movie. And in that movie, uh, there's a man who just has this idea uh, and this desire to create a place for people to come visit that just sort of filled them with wonder. And he begins to, uh, you know, try to do that. And he, he buys this museum type thing. And in that museum, there's like some wax figures and like a stuffed elephant and things like that. And uh, he thinks that that's really going to uh, wow people and it's going to just fill their minds with wonder. And they're just going to come and spend their money to get a ticket and come on in. And it really doesn't work out that way for him. Uh, and he realizes that the otter the things are that he can show people, the, the more interest they might uh, have in it, right? And so he begins to move around, and he, he puts flyers out, and he basically is, is advertising, like, if you're, a, if you're weird, I need you, right? And so uh, one particular scene, he's, uh, he's, he's walking down the street, if I remember correctly, and he hears this woman singing, and it's beautiful, beautiful song. And, uh, and he hunts her down, and when he finds her, she, she is what we would know as the bearded lady, okay? Uh, this woman who's singing like an angel, but she's, you know, she's, her, her, you know, her beard squashes my beard. It's a huge beard. She's very odd, right? And so uh, he, he finds um, different people that are strange. Uh, he finds one man that is, uh, that's really big, like just bigger than everybody else, super tall, uh, he finds people that have, you know, some skin pigment conditions that, that you know, he referred to as uh, somebody with albino skin. He finds a man uh, that's the werewolf man, you know, with, with hair all over him. And he finds the person with, uh, you know, tattoos all over him. And, you know, I thought about that when I see that guy come out. Now, if you wanted to find somebody really odd, you'd have to find somebody without a bunch of tattoos on them, right? I'm not taking off on tattoos, but it's rare to find somebody that doesn't have one nowadays. Uh, you would just see just some plain old guy like me just coming out in the middle of a circus arena, you know. I would be odd, you know. But that got me thinking, you know, that this guy is looking for oddities, right? And they were mesmerizing to some people. Now, some people hated him. If you've seen the movie, you know there's a group of people that absolutely hated these things because they were not, uh, they were kind of not mainstream, they were not normal. There, also, uh, there were a few people, especially one particular critic, who would sit there and he would tolerate the things, but he just kind of had a little bit of a, you know, a scowl about them. 
And then there were people who, who uh, would come initially and be like, I don't know about all this. But the more they sat there, by the end of the show, they're singing and clapping and, you know, they love it, right? So that got me thinking last time I saw that movie. And Brother Tim, I guess you could title the sermon, I would title it Primitive Baptist Oddities, okay? <laughs> primitive Baptist Oddities. And I say that because people will come to a Primitive Baptist church and they will find it odd, right? Uh, not everybody. Uh, I say that from my own experience. And most of you know, uh, not being uh, raised in the Primitive Baptist Church, uh, I didn't have a lot of experience with it, but my grandfather uh, w went to church here regularly. And the best I can remember, I know it was after Brother Tim was the pastor, so that would have been early 2000s, I guess, before, but before my grandfather died. So I'm guessing probably, you know, 2005-ish, maybe somewhere in there. Uh, my grandfather asked us if we would come to church with him on Father's Day. And so at that time, it was the building over there. And so uh, I came, Josh came, my parents came with my granddad just to, to, you know, just as a, you know, something for my grandfather. Which looking back now, as a side note on this side of it, I, I know what my grandfather had to have been feeling. Like I hope, I'm so excited that they're coming. And I hope they just hear something that resonates with us, with them. You know, and, 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 and I've had that feeling when I knew people were going to come visit I just hope they hear something that resonates with them. And, and I've experienced it when they did. And it's so joyous. But at the time, I'm not thinking that way. I'm thinking we're going out of obligation. And so we come. And I did find it somewhat odd. You know, preaching was great, I'm sure. But, but it was different to me. It was, it was the bearded lady of church services, right? <clears throat> That'd be a title right there, wouldn't it? <laughs> It was the bearded lady of church services for me because I noticed uh, there were not tons of different rooms and people running in every direction. I noticed that, you know, they, they you know, were all meeting together, a cappella hymns, and there just wasn't, uh, the, the flow of the service was different. The singing was, was longer than I was used to. The preaching was longer than I was used to. And it was just odd to me. And so I got to thinking about what makes it odd because I think you would probably agree with me that a great majority of the denominational world, if they didn't know anything about Primitive Baptists, would walk into a Primitive Baptist service and see a lot of things that made them kind of turn their head sideways like, that, that's different, right? Am I the only one? Nobody? Okay. Well, this is why I thought they were different. One of the things, and I want to go over three or four things of the, what I would call the primitive, primitive Baptist oddities, but I want to go over where they come from. Now listen, I, I, have, I have been the guy that would believe something and do something because great-grandpappy believed it. But I don't do that anymore. All right. Now, if you want to plant a garden the way your grandpappy did it, or if you want to clean a deer the way your grandpappy did it, that's great. But we can't design worship just because great-grandpappy did it a certain way. Amen. We have to do things based on the pattern and the teaching that we have in God's Word, right? Now, some people may be under the impression that the Primitive Baptists do things just because that's kind of how they've always been done things. But if you are a Primitive Baptist, you ought to have some knowledge about why we do things the way we do them. And, and even though it would seem odd to the world, you need some satisfaction in your spirit that we do it because that's what God's Word teaches, right? right. Now, one of the things that you may find odd if you've never been to a Primitive Baptist church 
is that we are a family integrated service. And what I mean by that is we are not uh, segregated into different groups, uh, which you might be, might be uh, know that as Sunday school. Uh, we, we are all together from the smallest of the infants to the oldest uh, person uh, that we have in our congregation. It is, a, it is one body and we all worship together. Now, where does that come from? Okay, well, let's look for just a second in Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter. And hopefully by the time I'm in, I'm done with some of these things, you'll, you might say, well, I don't agree with you, Luke, but at least I know where y'all are coming from. Okay, and that's important. Now, listen, I'm going to say this too. People that would disagree with us, it will not profit you one smallest bit to argue about it. All right. Even with people who disagree with us on our doctrine or our practice, we have to be Christ honoring in the way we deal with them. Find whatever ground you agree on and live there with them. Okay. All right. Now, because I've tried the other way and it doesn't work. All right makes me frustrated. It makes them mad. We never get anywhere. Humility goes a long way. In Deuteronomy, the 31st chapter, now this is when Moses, I'll read the very first part of this, and it says, And when Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel, and he said unto them, I am 120 years old this day. I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord has said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. Now, so here is Moses in his later days, and he is speaking to the congregation of Israel, and he's going to give them some things that he, he's charging them to do some things. He's reminding them of some things. And one of the things that he says <clears throat> in verse 11, he says, When all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. Now notice this verse. And that their children which have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Now doesn't that strike a chord with y'all? Now here's Moses, all right? This is not grandpappy. This is Moses inspired by God saying, listen, I'm about to die. And I'm giving you some instructions about how you are to congregate. And when you congregate, you bring the men, you bring the women, you bring the children, the children that don't know anything. So that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God. Now, let me say this. That's the Lord's way. All right. You say, well, an infant, they can't learn anything. Small child, they can't learn any, anything in church. Don't believe that. Do not believe that. I have seen some of our children when they were so, so small. And some of you can have the, have the same testimony. Come up and repeat things to me that they heard in a service six months prior. They hear and they learn. I tell you, if you don't eat nothing else, this is a funny story. I'm not going to embarrass the guy, but everybody probably knows who he is. The first time we visited Bethlehem, all right, with an actual interest in coming and learning about these oddities, we were on the next to back row. 
And I noticed, like, man, there's, there's little kids all in here, right? And the, and the couple that was sitting behind us had small children. And sometime during that service, one of them was doing something they weren't supposed to do. And let me tell you, just right there on the back pew, he was learning to fear the Lord. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He was learning to fear the Lord. And that little guy sits so quiet and respectful and peaceful today in this church. All right, you see, you can learn to fear the Lord and have no idea what the preacher's saying. Right? This is where children can learn to sit still. This is where children can look at the other adults and see what they value. You ever thought about that? You know what's important to me? When I see something that's important to my dad, it has a way of just becoming important to me. And when our children see us value congregating together, we hope that it creates some sort of value in them. Right? Now, another thing that's a benefit, uh, let, let me read this verse to you. Over in Joshua, forgive me if I'm bouncing around here a little bit. I'm trying to cover a lot in a little bit of time. Over in Joshua, Moses has died, you understand? And Joshua has taken Moses' place. And when Joshua begins to gather all the congregation of Israel, who do you think he gathers? Do you think he says, all right, everybody that's able to just kind of understand, come on, but let's keep these, these little ones over here, let's keep the, you know, the 10-year-olds over there, and let's, let's segregate. Let me just, just give me the people that can really, really comprehend what I'm saying. That's not what he does. He does exactly what Moses told him to. He said, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones. I like the way the, 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 the Lord chose to use that. The little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. Now, one of the benefits, like I said, is that they, will, they can learn here order. They can learn to sit still. They can learn to fear God. They can learn to see what value it is. But one of the biggest things um, that's important to me is that because we have a family integrated worship, my children have developed close bonds with people of all ages, of all ages. Why is that important? Listen, and I don't mean this ugly. The young, the young, handsome man you know, that, that's just now starting to get some hair growing on his face. He may be built like a tank, but he probably lacks wisdom. The gray heads of the congregation are the wisdoms of the congregation. And if you want your children, one of the ways that uh, there's, there's primarily two ways that we get wisdom. One is you ask for it. The other way is says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. I want my children walking with the gray heads of our congregation. I want our children to be comfortable around the gray heads of our congregation. I want them to sit with them and have a friendship with them. And as the Bible says, I want the young ones to have their hearts knit together in love with the old ones. It's really hard to do that. And I'm telling you by experience. It's hard to do that when you're always segregated. <clears throat> we were, one Sunday, we went to eat after church. <clears throat> Several people went. And they're not here tonight, so I'll pick on them. <clears throat> we 
we went to eat after church and, and we're trying, you know, we had probably, I don't know, 25 people. And we were trying to figure out, you know, who's going to sit where. And, and I looked over at, at a table. Well, I'm sorry, Brother Philip and Jess, y'all are here. I was thinking about Marla and Rhonda. But, and I looked over there and all the places to sit, Jack and Hank had decided to sit with Brother Philip, Sister Janice, Brother Marlon, and Sister Rhonda. And you know, I looked at that and you know what, what the Lord spoke to me? It works. My way works. Because see, they otherwise would have had no relationship with them. But they were sitting at a table, not of gray heads, right? But of older, wiser people. And one day, they may be the very people that the Lord uses to guide them through a difficult time. You see, our children need to see us value these things. Our children need to develop relationships with people who are not just their age. Right? Now, what are the dangers of not doing it this way? I, look, again, I'm, I'm speaking to you on experience. The dangers of not meeting together and dividing up everybody into different age groups and sending them off to their own rooms. Number one, in, in that type of dynamic, you typically have to beg people to teach a class. Do you want somebody teaching your children who you had to beg to do it? I'm talking about God's word, spiritual things about the kingdom. Do you want that? Number two, you don't know what they're hearing. And you say, oh, there's no way that that they would be teaching something different than everybody else. Yeah. What about this guy who was learning about some of the things about predestination in a church who didn't believe in predestination, but he had a little Sunday school class he had to teach, and they were getting as much of it as I knew. (laughs) And their mamas and daddies had no idea. I was teaching them something contrary to what that church claimed to believe because the Lord was burdening my heart to teach it, and nobody knew. So yes, things can go under the radar, right? There's another time, and I'm not throwing off on Sunday school now, but you ought to research Sunday school sometime. When it, how it was created. I believe Robert Rakes was the guy's name. Is that right? Robert Rakes. Not too many, maybe a couple hundred years ago. Another danger of it is, before I came to the Primitive Baptist Church, they, were, they had a Sunday school that was on marriage. And the couple that was teaching it were great friends of mine and were on the edge of divorce and are now divorced teaching about marriage sat through another marriage class where the husband was currently being unfaithful to his wife teaching marriage another class that we were part of was a class on finances and i know for a fact because the guy was a great friend of mine the guy he was teaching it was on the verge of financial ruin now that ought to hit you really hard When you sit in here all together, what you hear is what they hear. Brother Tim, myself, Brother Neil, some of these other brothers, we don't, you don't have to beg us to stand up here. We don't stand up here begrudgingly. We can't wait for the opportunity to do it. Why is that? Because God has called us 
And hopefully he has gifted us to do that. If we don't discharge the burden that God has put on our heart, we are miserable. Right? We're up here because God's called us to be up here, not begrudgingly. So there's a danger in not doing it God's way. You understand? Now, before I move on to the next one, this is one of my favorites. In Matthew, the 21st chapter. There'll be somebody out there as well. Somebody out there will say, yeah, well, you know, you old primitive Baptist, you know, I just can't stand to hear the, those crying babies. I can't stand to hear those babbling infants. It's distracting to me. I understand. And hopefully we've got enough discernment. If somebody's really cutting loose, we get up and take them out, right? But kids are going to babble, right? You're going to hear those little murmurings and those little babblings. And there are people out there that would not tolerate it. We have a biblical example of that. Matthew, the 21st chapter. It says, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he, that's Jesus, did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. We don't like these kids in here with us. This is the temple. This is big church. That's what we used to call it. This is big church. This is where the spiritual adults go. Send somebody over there to give him goldfish and a craft and get them out of our hair. And you can just feel the blood running up to Jesus' face. And said unto them, Hearst thou what these say? And see, they even look at Jesus like, Jesus, do you see these kids? They're crying out. You ought to look up that definition of the word crying right there. It says to croak or to cry out as a raven. I want you to imagine if you were getting sleepy, dozing off to take a nap, and there was a crow outside your window. It would be so irritating. And these voices of these children are irritating these supposedly spiritual people. And Jesus says, Have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? That's little ones, guys. Thou hast perfected praise. Now that word perfected there means to make complete. Now, this is my take on it. If you don't believe this way, I'm sorry, but I do. To pick our little ones up and take them out of this service, number one, you'd have a ride on your hands. But number two, the Lord said, you just made something that was complete, incomplete. Bring them back to us. Now, let me move on for the sake of time. Another oddity that you might see is that when you come in here that we sing a cappella hymns. You won't find a piano, you won't find a guitar, and you won't find things like that. Where does that come from? Now, I've heard multiple different angles on why we don't use musical instruments. And some of them are like, yeah, that makes a good bit of sense to me. And some of them are like, that's over my head. It's too complicated for me to understand that. And so I just kind of went through the book, uh, the Bible, and just tried to figure out for myself, is it biblical to, to, to do it the way we do it? Or are we just exercising some liberty here? Or, uh, you know, what does the Bible really say about it? Now, I don't mind telling you, I just printed out a bunch of scriptures because I didn't want to flip through my Bible. So I'm going to read some of these things to you. 
One thing you need to understand is there is a difference. And I, and I got this, uh, this, this angle from Do- Brother Elder Dolph Painter. There is a difference between what the Lord designs and what the Lord tolerates. You understand? You see, the Lord designed marriage to be between a man and a woman. How do I know that? He created one man and one woman. And, and they were a couple, right? He did not create Adam and Eve and, and three other people, three other women. He created a man and he created a woman. He says that the, the, the man is going to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. <clears throat> that is the design of God. But do you see godly people in the Bible always following that design? Well, of course not. You see uh, Abraham. You see specifically think about David, right? David, if I counted right, had eight wives. Understand that is not the Lord's design. But he tolerated David doing that. You remember Israel. What what was the, the design for Israel? The design for Israel, God's design for Israel, was that it would be a theocracy, meaning he would be their God. All these other nations would have a flesh and bone king sitting on the throne, but not Israel. Israel had God Almighty as their head. That was his design. But what did they want? They wanted a flesh and bone king sitting on the throne too. So God tolerated that. But he didn't design it. You understand? Now, it's also important to note that that did not work out for Israel very well. And David having multiple wives, neither did that work out very well. And you having multiple wives is not going to work out very well. All right? So I did not say, for the record, go out and marry multiple wives and God will tolerate it. All right? That is not what I said. If you heard that and you want to do that, you got bigger problems. Okay? They neither worked out very well. Now, I want to read you maybe six or eight verses right here. And I want you to look for the common thread in these six or eight verses. Okay? Moreover, this is verse Chronicles 23, 5. Moreover, 4,000 reporters and 4,000 praised the Lord with the instruments which I made, said David, to praise therewith. Verse number two. All these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord with cymbals, psalteries, harps for the service of the house of God according to the king's order. Thus, third verse, thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished and Solomon brought in all the things that David, his father, had dedicated and the silver and the gold and all the instruments. Verse number four, and the priest waited on their offices, the Levites also, with instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord. Verse five. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priest with the trumpets and Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David. Verse number whatever we're on, six. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. Verse number seven. And his brethren, 
with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe, before them. All right, there's what, seven or eight verses. Did anybody see a common thread in there? Every single one of those verses, when it specifically points out the instruments of music, it assigns them to David, saying David dedicated dedicated them. It was the king's order. David made them. Uh, uh, he made them to praise. They ordained. He ordained them. It was by the ordinance of David. All those things. It's very very clear to point out the instruments were there were created, were present in all that they were doing because of what David said. Right? Now, in the book of Amos, there are woes pronounced on people. And one of the woes is this. Woe to them that chant to the sound of the vowel and invent to themselves music, instruments of music, like David. Now listen, folks. We got verse after verse after verse after verse in the Old Testament that says, and you can say this, oh, there were instruments in the Old Testament. There absolutely were. But God's Word is very clear that they were ordained and under the direction of David. And then later on, the Lord pronounces a woe upon people that are inventing instruments of music to themselves like David. Now you can't just scratch that out of your Bible. That's got to make you think. Did God design worship to be with these instruments? Or did He tolerate David doing it? He tolerated David and his wives, which destroyed his family. Did he design it or did he tolerate it? It makes me think he tolerated it. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a woe placed on it. Another thing that supports that is because in the New Testament, you never find the apostles giving the instruction to go grab the instruments. What you find them teaching is to sing and to make melody in your heart to the Lord. Right? Now, what are the what are the and again, if you know there are people out there. I love music. Everybody knows Brother Tim loves music. Brother Neil loves music. The Lord doesn't hate music, right? We're talking about music and worship. These verses I read were when they were gathering for worship, right? And the Lord in the New Testament, we see the instruction: Hey, sing. Sing and the melody of the vowels and the psalteries and the harps that y'all used to have, make that in your heart and just sing, right? What are the dangers of not doing it that way? One of the, the, the only danger that I'll mention to you just for sake of time, and I've heard other people mention this and I wholeheartedly agree. When we begin to add to worship and you crack that door, where are you going to stop it? If you say, hey, let's, boy, it'd be, I mean, Brother Jim's good. He's good. But what if, what if we had somebody here strumming? What if we had a piano playing? All right, what are you going to do when a guy says, well, I want a drum set? What are you going to do when a guy says, well, I want dancers up here? What are you going to do when a guy just continues to say, let's add, let's add, let's add, let's add? 
my personal opinion about why the Lord would design worship to be with our voices is because it's one less thing to distract us. You know, last night, I'm, I'm not trying to throw off on Bailey here, but last night it was getting kind of late. She had a little bit of math to do. And um, usually at night before we go to bed, we all get together and we'll watch a little TV show or something. And she's like, well, I'll just, I'll just do my math while I watch the TV show. I was like, come on now. <laughs> I, 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 it's not so much that I know you, but I know me when I was 10 years old. And if you put me in front of a cartoon and have my math in front of you, forget the math. We're distracted, easily distracted. And I wonder maybe if that's why the Lord said that. I also wonder if the Lord just wanted to hear the voices of the instruments he gave us which were our voices. Let me go on quickly here. <clears throat> Very quickly. The third, the third oddity that you might see, we've looked at why children are in church, and I hope I've given you some biblical evidence of why that is. You may not believe it, that we should do it that way, but I want you to understand why we do it that way and where we get that. Instruments in church... Uh, I hope you've, I've given you some scriptural evidence and at least some things to think about about why we don't do it that way. And really, each one of these topics could be a whole sermon in itself, so I'm just giving you the quick and dirty. The third thing that you might find very odd is that we use the King James Bible. Now listen, I preached a whole sermon one Wednesday night, maybe a couple years ago, on the King James Bible. I still got it. If you want to, I can send it to you or we can upload it to the podcast or whatever. It goes into a whole lot more detail. Why do we use the King James Bible? Well, number one, do you believe that God inspired His Word? Do you believe that God preserved His Word? All right, well, the Bible tells us in, in Psalms, the 12th chapter, I think verse 6, that he, he will preserve His Word. All right, do you believe that God keeps His promises? All right, if you do, then somewhere on this earth is God's preserved Word, right? Now, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a real silly example, but I think it'll paint a good picture. If you'll just bear with me, I may owe you 10 minutes here too, Brother Tim. <clears throat> I want you to imagine thousands of years ago that the Lord came to a man in a vision and he told that man, he said, listen, I'm fixing to inspire you to write down some things. In the year 2020, there's going to be a virus come along that the world's going to struggle with. There will be some that die. There will be some that get sick. It will uh, create anxiety on a scale that most have never seen. It will destroy many churches. It will discourage people like they've never been discouraged. It's going to be bad. It's going to almost shut down their economy at times. But I'm giving you the protocol to follow to eliminate this virus to where the, the, you know, the, the impact it'll have will be almost nothing. And the Lord begins to give that protocol. Don't you wish you had that? Because, oh, the old, old, old doctor expert says this and doctor better expert says this and doctor better, better expert says this. You don't know what to believe. Wouldn't it be nice to have a protocol from the Lord on what to do? You with me? Yeah. All right, so man writes it down. He can't go over to a copier and make copies of that. Thousands of years ago, 
hand copies are made, right? The Lord tells this man, write this down and I'm going not only to inspire you to write it, I'm going to preserve it until 2020. So when they get it, they will have exactly what I said. And so he writes it. Scribes, their job as scribes is to make copies. And they begin to make handwritten copies, handwritten copies over and over and over for thousands of years. Right? And then the year 2020 comes. And this virus starts to come around. And the CDC, the president, all the medical powers that be say they get wind. There was a prophecy about this. I want somebody to go scrounge up every single copy they can of what the Lord told that man and let's compile them. All right. And when it's all said and done, you got two groups. With two different ideas on these protocols. Now, let me describe these two groups to you. Once they compile all these hand copies, they have five thousand two hundred and fifty five copies of it. One group says we've gone through all of them. 5,255 of them. 5,210 of them pretty much all say the exact same thing. The other 45, they're hit and miss. This group over here, out of the 45, they pull two of the 45 out. And they say these two, we believe, are the oldest out of all of these. Although we can't prove it, we think they are. So we're going to use these two, even though they're still written in, let's say, Hebrew, we're going to use these two to translate it and give you what the Lord told that man a long time ago. These men are going to take the 5,210 and they're going to translate them to give us what the Lord told the man a long time ago in a language we can understand. Tell me a little bit more about these two guys, these two groups. This group is 57 men. And those 57 men are broken down into six groups. Those six groups separate and they each take part of the scripture and they scrutinize every scripture 14 different times. Every line 14 different times. They come back together. They run their, uh, uh, their translation by all the other 57 guys until they come to what all of those guys agree on. Their, their purpose was to take it word for word. If this is what the Hebrew says, we're going to get that as close to the English word as we possibly can. All right? And we're going to translate that for y'all. And these guys say, we believe in the prophecy. We believe it wholeheartedly. We believe the virus is real. We we believe God is real. We believe He inspired it. We believe He preserved it. And we believe we've got it. What about these guys? Primarily two people that took these two. Two manuscripts. They, They pulled out these two copies. The two copies they have, listen to me now. These 5,210 agreed perfectly. These two copies disagree with each other over 3,000 times. These two copies disagree with those over 5,000 times. These two copies have many handwritten revisions in what is documented to be at least 10 different people's handwriting. 
the people that are going to translate this really don't fully believe in the virus or the inspiration or the prophecy. And then they lay out these protocols. Let me ask this. Which one are you going to pick up and follow? That is a no-brainer. I'm picking up this one. Are you with me? I know that as a simplified version, but it should resonate with you. When the King James Bible was translated, out of the 5,255 manuscripts that were found, 5,210 of them agreed. Those were taken by the 57 men and word for word, as best they could, were translated into the English language by men who wholeheartedly believed in the inspiration and the preservation of God's Word. These... Let me add a little something silly to it. You say, where were these two manuscripts found, brothers? Oh, well, one of them was found in the trash can of the CDC. (laughs) Well, the CDC must not have thought it was worth anything. These two manuscripts, one of them was found in the trash can of a monastery. Meaning these religious men thought it was only worthy to be burned. And they take these two manuscripts. Westcott and Hort are the two guys that take them. They don't really even believe in the Trinity. Do you know that one of them said that the first three chapters of Genesis are not literal? These are men who don't have a real grounded belief in the Bible anyway. But they take these two manuscripts that differ in so many places, over 3,000 places. And they don't do a word-for-word translation. They do what you call a dynamic equivalency. Whereas they would take what was said... Think about it, take the thought of it, and kind of put it back down in their own words for the reader to interpret. That's how most all your Bible versions other than the King James Bible came to be, is by coming from those translations off of those two manuscripts. Probably some of you didn't had no clue that that's how these versions... I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just thought you went to the store and you got the one that you could read the best, and you bought it, and they were all the same. I do not have time to go through and show you the, the, the sorrowful differences between the versions of the Bible. When you take the NIV and you take the, the King James Version or you take you know, the, you know, the Revised Standard Version or whatever, the things that are left out, it is impossible on some points to get on the same page with somebody when they've got two different versions of the Bible because so much is left out of it. This is a book that I recommended to you a long time ago, A More Sure Word. This, this is, I'm not going to say it's unbiased, but, but he tries his best to stay neutral and give you the history about how the versions of the Bible came to be. I scratched the surface. It is very, very eye-opening how the King James Bible, I wholeheartedly believe, wholeheartedly believe is the preserved Word of God in English. And it's scary to see the mindset and the process that some people went through to give people probably the the, the Bibles that are the most read today. Now, Primitive Baptist oddities. You walk up in here and you've never been to a Primitive Baptist church in your life. What are all the kids doing here? This is where we get it from. Why do you not have any instruments? This is where we get it from. Why is that preacher reading out of the King James, thou, they, thy weird version? That's the history of why we do it, right? 
We could go on and we could talk about seminaries another day, but we don't have time for that. These things are odd to people that have never been here, but we didn't just make them up. I hope that the Lord is pleased with all the things that we do. I know that I have seen the benefits of the things that we practice here in the Primitive Baptist Church, having a view of the way things could be because I came from that. So I hope that that's been profitable to you. If you ever want to sit down and talk more about the King James Bible, if you got questions about children in church, if you got questions, Brother Tim, we would love, I would love to sit down and talk more with you. But we just didn't get it from Grandpappy. So if you don't agree with what we said, please leave out of here saying this. I don't agree with what they said, but I know where they're getting it from. And I hope we can live on that common ground. Thank you for your attention.